to talk a bit about what um, Grant mentioned and came out in the testimonies, but about how uh, God reveals himself to us. And um, I think just about in every testimony, you, you get a pattern of where if God hadn't done anything, then generally the person um, testifying would have walked away. And even for myself, growing up in the fellowship, um, there probably came a point in my mid to late teens where I had to assess for myself whether I believed in God or not and whether this was a church for my parents and for, for old people or whether it was a church that was going to be um, something that I was going to follow and whether God was going to be someone that I was going to follow. And uh, the thing that I always came back to and the one experience that I could never deny was that um, that I had the Holy Spirit and that I could speak in tongues. Um, I will turn to John 14 while, while I'm talking. So if God hadn't done that for me, I can say for sure that I, I wouldn't be here today. And um, just knowing how I am in myself, probably it would have gone completely the opposite way and, and become an atheist. Um, but I'm not, praise the Lord. So uh, John 14, and I go to this set of scriptures a fair bit in my talks and make no apology for it, but it's, uh, it's where Christ uh, Jesus spent some time with his disciples and spoke about a lot of things before he was arrested and, and went off to die. And despite him knowing what was to come, he he gave encouragement. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy reading these these scriptures. And he answered a lot of questions, and we're going to get to one of the questions in a minute. But we'll just pick it up in verse 15. And it just says, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Uh, yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you, sh- you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Uh, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Um, so we're going to focus a bit on, on what that means about manifesting, uh, Jesus manifesting himself to us means. Uh, of course, this was written for the disciples, but it was, was also written to, to every person, because um, that experience is available today to anyone who, that asks for it. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, it goes from even before where before we started reading it says, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then immediately he talks about the Holy Ghost. And uh, so it's not just something that uh, happens to chance upon us. It's about keeping the commandments of Jesus and doing it the way that he's, uh, that he's set out in order to have the Spirit manifest to us. Um, and we'll just read verse 22. Actually, before we do that, um, no, sorry, we'll read it. So verse 22, it just says, um, And Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And uh, so before we focus on that question, I thought we'd talk a bit about what manifest means. And from uh, the Strong's Concordance, which is a a, um, a Greek and Hebrew dictionary or concordance of of the the scriptures, uh, the word manifest here means to exhibit in person. Uh, or to disclose by words, um, to appear, to declare, to inform, to signify, and then the one that I think probably is the most potent in this one is to reveal. 
And uh, so it's it's a, a revelation to us of God. It's exhibiting, it's uh, it's declaring uh, what God is, manifesting myself to him, manifesting Jesus to us. Um, even just on an online dictionary of what manifest means in today's language means to show by one's act or appearance, to demonstrate, to be evidence of or to prove. So uh, as we heard in the testimonies, God proved himself through the experience that uh, our brother and, and our sister had. And um, sometimes I don't like the term the Holy Ghost experience because it sounds like it's, it can almost sound like it's a one-off thing, um, but it is, it's a continual experience that we we continue to experience. <laughs> um, so the question is, well, how would the Holy Spirit, how would God be revealed to, to the disciples? How would Jesus be revealed to the disciples and not to the world? And uh, and Judas, in this case, was perhaps thinking uh, naturally through his understanding uh, of what he understood from the Old Testament times. Uh, so I thought we might go back to Exodus 33 to show how God manifest himself to his people in, in those days. And if you're new to the Bible, um, the book of Exodus deals with a, a people uh, known as the children of Israel, and uh and they were a, a people that God decided to to deal with on a on a one to one basis and uh and he led them out of the uh out of captivity out of the land of Egypt and uh and he had a plan for them as a as a nation um and so uh, just for time we'll we'll talk about a little bit about something called the tabernacle uh which just means tent and it was a, a place that God dwelt um to be with the people and uh, we'll read it in, from verse 7. And um, Moses, of course, was kind of the uh, the leader, natural leader of the children of Israel at the time. And it just says, and, and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, uh, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So um, the reason that they were in a, a tabernacle or a tent was because they were still uh, they were still in the wilderness at this stage. They hadn't yet made it into the promised land. And so this, this place where God would dwell had to be um, portable. Uh, but the glory of God uh, dwelt within the tabernacle. And it was a place that was separated from the camp because of uh, the children of Israel's di- disobedience. Um, God chose to dwell there in a separate place to be away from their sin, and he had a relationship with the people through Moses. Um, and I just got to thinking, uh, as Eddie says I say all the time, got to thinking that um, this would have been pretty visible for the children of Israel. They, uh, While it was outside of the camp, the pillar of cloud had been guiding them through the through the wilderness, um, and it was something that would have been visible for, for the whole nation to see. And yet, when Moses came to talk to the Lord, that pillar of cloud descended into this this tabernacle, and uh, and Moses spoke with God there. And uh, it was this clear sign that God was dealing 
uh, one with Moses, but also with the nation as a whole. Um, we actually get a whole lot of chapters on how the tabernacle was, was constructed. Uh, you get everything from the dimensions of the table of showbread to the number of loops in the curtains that uh, made up the tabernacle. And uh, many of the materials that, can, that the tabernacle was made from would have been valuable and, and would have been uh, precious in those days. And the construction was made to a, to a specification of God. But that wasn't what made the tabernacle holy. Um, so the materials itself were not holy and the construction was not holy. It was only holy because God chose to dwell there and he sanctified it and he separated that, that place. Uh, we'll go across to chapter 40 now and in verse 16. So this is towards the end of the instructions for how the tabernacle was to be constructed. And it just says, uh, Thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And it goes through all the, the things that he did. But down in verse 30, just for time, it says, And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Um, so we'll read on in a little bit, little bit but I, as well, I got thinking that despite the fact that the materials and the, the method that was used for the construction didn't make the tabernacle holy in themselves, uh, God only chose to dwell there because they did it exactly as per his prescribed instructions. Um, he wouldn't have done it if they decided to substitute, um, I don't know, the tabernacle walls for something else or if they decided to use banana leaves instead of something. Uh, the spirit was only revealed because they followed his instructions. Uh, remembering that scripture, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, so it wasn't the, but it wasn't the work of the hands that, of their hands that made the tabernacle holy. Uh, God chose to make it holy as we'll read now in verse 34. It says, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. Uh, for the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So uh, God chose to, to dwell there, and uh, because they did it according to the way that he, he told them to. And um, it's a pattern throughout the Bible that when you do things God's way, uh, God blesses it. And when you try to mix God's way with, with our way, uh, he generally doesn't bless it. We'll go across to First Kings and chapter six. So we're we're fast forwarding. I think it's about five hundred years. So this is after the children of Israel entered into the promised land. Um, for around about five hundred years, they continued to use the tabernacle um, for the place where God dwelt and and the place of worship. Um, and finally, they were allowed to to build a, a more permanent home. Um, one for the Ark of the Covenant, which we won't go into the Ark of the Covenant today, but that was a symbol of God's presence as well. 
um, but also for the, the priests to minister and for the people to worship. So um, King David's son Solomon was commissioned to build the temple. And uh, we'll read just read in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. And the house which King Solomon built for the Lord... Oh, sorry, I don't want to read that. That's all right. And um, I was just... Oh, sorry, I will read a little bit. It says, The length thereof is three score cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And you can keep reading. And it goes through, again, uh, the construction materials, the, uh, the the process that was used. talks about these, these stones that were hewn out of the mountains. Um, they got this the cedar out of Lebanon for the timber. And yet, again, it was not the materials, no matter how precious they were, or the construction, no matter how skilled the workmen and the uh, um, the designers and the I guess the engineers of the day, no matter how skilled they were, uh, that wasn't what made the place holy. Uh, we'll read in verse um, nine. So talking about Solomon, so he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar, and then he built chambers against all the house, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. And the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my judgment, uh, walk in my statutes and execute judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So uh, again, there's a, a pattern through the Bible where God's desire is to have a relationship uh, among his people. And uh, but and so that's what God was talking about. If if you do these things, then then I'll I'll be with you. Um, the glory of the Lord didn't actually return or didn't actually move over to the temple until the Ark of the Covenant was placed um, within the temple. So it had been in the tabernacle up until this point, the Ark of the Covenant. So we'll just go across to chapter 8, and you can read from verse 1, but um, perhaps we'll go from, uh, where should we go? Oh, we'll just go pick it up from verse 10. It talks about from verses 1 to 9 about them them placing the Ark of the Covenant within the temple. And it just says in verse 10, And it came to pass when the priests would come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So again, God confirmed that he was working with Israel and confirmed his presence by manifesting it or revealing it in a in a really visible way. And, and obviously the priests knew about it because they couldn't even enter into the, te- the temple. Um, but the people would have seen it and it would have been spoken about and uh, any nations watching from the sidelines would have would have seen this incredible work. Um, we'll go back to John 14. We'll see Jesus' answer to, I'll call him Jude because I think he preferred that after not wanting to get confused with the other Judas. <laughs> um, so God's an- uh, Jesus' answer to Jude, we'll read the question again in verse 22. And it says, uh, Judas saith unto him, uh, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Uh, literally means that uh, in, in the margin it says, make our home with him. Um, verse 24, he that, loveth me, uh, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. 
These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus' answer was to, to how that the uh, that, that Jesus would be manifest unto his disciples, and of course, not just the disciples for that day, but the disciples even today as we are, was that the Spirit would abide within. And uh, and God chooses to dwell with us, and it's it's separate from, from the world, and it's not because we're worthy or righteous throughout our own actions, uh, but because God chose to sanctify us and to make us holy uh, through his Holy Spirit. And so it's not because any uh, any attributes that we might have, not that we're uh, really tall or, or good-looking or very short or whatever it might be, that God had respect for us, he he decided that despite all our failings as as humans and as as being in the flesh, that he would make us holy. And uh, many churches we know don't have the Holy Spirit, uh, or they don't preach the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, what what do you have left as a result? And they might have a a very nice building. Um, they might have people in um, fancy clothes or, or whatever it might be, which from the outside might look to to appearances might look like it's godly. But without the the spirit within, what do they have? It's just just people, uh, and it's just a building. It's just like a, like the temple. Um, but God, if God's not in within, then then how can how can a man be holy? How can you be godlike without God present? Um, and I just also got thinking that just just like building the the temple and the tabernacle, uh, God chose to dwell within those places because they were followed according to His instructions. And uh, it's the same today. God will only choose to abide with us if we do the right things in following his commandments in getting receiving the Holy Spirit. And uh, do we love him enough to do that? And there's many people here who will testify that, that God did fill them with the Holy Spirit when they followed the commandments that uh, that, that he set, set in place for receiving the Holy Spirit. But many do not, and there's many churches around that, that don't preach it because perhaps they don't love him enough to follow his commandments, and, and they think there's another way. Um, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 30 now. And there's a, a pattern, not just in the Bible, but throughout history, where people will see something and that they'll try and improve it. And even if it's something that comes from God, they'll try and, uh, and they'll, they'll try and make it better or they'll they'll add try and add some entertainment value to it or I don't know they'll try and, and revamp it but uh God's processes aren't to be tampered with and uh I'm only focusing on one commandment that there was made about the temple and the tabernacle um and I'm just going to read a couple of places where it talks about it so in Exodus 30 and in verse 8 so this is in the middle of talking about how the, the tabernacle was going to work, and, and there's just this commandment here, and it says, And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. Uh, we'll go across to Leviticus 6. It's only a few pages over. Just another place where this gets talked about. So there was the lamps that had to had to remain burning, but there was also the fire of the altar. So Leviticus 6 and in verse 12, and it says, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, it shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings 
and the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar, it shall never go out. Um, we'll go across to chapter 9 now. So the, the these lamps and the, the fire of the uh, the altar um, was pretty clear that it was that, that was only two places where it got talked about. There was a few others where where also it was reiterated that they, they should never go out. And uh, we'll read in, in verse 22 of uh, Leviticus 9, and it says here, uh, And Aaron lifted up his hand towards the people and blessed them, and came down from offering of a sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And they came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So... um the, the thought is that the uh, the fire wasn't to go out because it was the fire that fell from heaven, and so it was God that provided this this fire. It wasn't um, at least for the for the altar, uh, and it wasn't for for it to go out and then mankind to then start it up again. It was this came from God. It had to fall from heaven, um, and so God was pleased with the way that um, this is after the tabernacle had been raised up and they were offering the first offerings, and and God was pleased with what they'd done that they'd followed the instructions. And, uh, and the sacrifices they made, and as a result, he manifested himself by, by fire falling from heaven. Um, and yet, as we're going to read about, mankind immediately wants to try and improve upon what the Lord's done. Um, to make it more entertaining, perhaps, or to, to bring glory to themselves. Um, but the fire has to fall from heaven if it's from God. Uh, in Leviticus chapter, oh sorry, the, we'll keep reading, so chapter 10 and verse 1. It just says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire thereon, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And uh, perhaps Nadab and Abihu had good intentions they were they were the sons of the high priest so they were in their within their rights to uh to minister and to to um serve within the temple or tabernacle uh but they did it the wrong way then perhaps they thought they were serving god correctly maybe aaron hadn't taught them maybe aaron didn't make it clear enough that they had to they that they weren't to mess with this fire um or maybe they thought well, we're going to go above and beyond and we're going to we're not just going to have a, a small fire we're going to add some chemicals to it and make it a really big fire. But God doesn't tolerate the spirit being tampered with and uh, because it's what he's revealed and what he's manifest to the people. And uh, if if we try and tamper with it, it's no longer God's spirit. It's something else. It's something that, that uh, mankind has come up with. And how many, how many Christian or so-called Christian denominations have changed the instructions for receiving the Holy Spirit or even said, we don't need the spirit anymore? Um, by adding or subtracting from what God has prescribed, it's it's changing it. It's adding a strange fire, offering a strange fire to the Lord. And uh, God has no respect for that. He only has respect for what he puts in place because he, he's the one that put it in place. He knows what he wants. Um, and so God God rejects it. There's no two ways about it. He's, if he's not going to respect the offering, he's going to reject it. And um, you can read about that in um, in Genesis when Cain and Abel offered different sacrifices and, and perhaps thought both thought they were doing the right thing and God had respect to one, but he didn't have respect to the other. And Cain, as a result, 
got, got upset and, and committed horrible sin. And, uh, it's the same with us. We, we need to follow God's instruction and, and we need to sacrifice and, and do the things according to God the way that He prescribes. Um, just got a note here that the fire must fall from heaven, the spirit must come from God and not from mankind. Um, later on, Jesus talks about the one unforgivable sin and it's blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And again, God doesn't have any patience for people who tamper with the manifestation of God through the Holy Spirit. Um, he'll tolerate many things. Um, obviously, the suffering of the saints, um, he, he tolerates and he suffered even, allowed even Jesus to, to die and, and, uh, on the cross. Um, of course, he, he rose again later, but God doesn't tolerate when people change the instructions, when they change the Holy Spirit. Um, there's another instance in First Samuel, which we'll go across to. So keeping in mind that the fire was, was never to go out, First um, Samuel chapter 3, and there was a, a man named Eli who was a priest who became very old, and um, his sons, who were, were meant to be taking up his mantle, um, were pretty pretty hopeless, and um, and they uh, committed pretty terrible sins, and and really um, really had no respect for the position that they'd been put in um, as God's men. And uh, so, First Samuel chapter three, and in verse one, it just says, "And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli." Uh, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Uh, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So, of course, Samuel became a great priest and a great prophet um, for Israel, but he was only a child in these days. Uh, and it was it was Eli's son's job to to keep an eye on this this lamp. Um, and yet it went out. Uh, and so wh- whose fault was that? Did, did Eli give his sons the correct training? Um, did he keep a close enough eye on them? Um, maybe not if his eyes were beginning to wax dim. Um, did he pass on just how important this task was? And then you start thinking, well, did Eli's sons, did they just take it as a joke? And, and did they, were they too busy living their own lives of excess? Which it probably, probably was the case. And then I wonder if they got called out on it, whether they, they blamed each other and said, oh, it was, it was this guy's job today and it was his job yesterday. And, and I'm sure they would have, would have blamed one another. But regardless of who was to blame, the fire went out of the temple and it had big ramifications as a result for Israel. Um, the Holy Spirit within our lives is compared to a fire. And so we need to ensure that our fire is continually burning and, um, we need to make sure that we're tending to it and not letting it burn down to the coals until it's about to go out and then suddenly we stoke it up and, and quick get the, get the fire going before it goes out. Um, if you just keep it blazing, it's, it's got no chance of going out. It's dangerous to let it, let it die down and then try and resurrect it all the time. And the responsibility lies with us for that individually. Uh, it's not like Eli and Eli's sons who perhaps could have shifted the blame elsewhere. Um, we can't blame anyone else other than ourselves if we let the fire burn down. Um, we can't blame another priest. We can't blame the pastor. We can't blame house leader or, or God for allowing us to allow the fire to burn down. Um, it's up to us to be responsible for our own walk and our fire. Um, keeping in mind that God dwells within our temple. Um, 
that's so that's the importance of of us maintaining it. Uh, Matthew twenty one now, just thinking a bit about the the temple again, and we've got our young East camp coming up next weekend with a, a theme of within, uh, which is the the thought of uh, that the spirit of God dwells within us, and uh, that we become we are God's temple. So I had these these thoughts in my mind as I was writing this, and just got got thinking more about the temple and and how God's temple was was not maintained. Um, of course, Israel went into captivity, and I believe the temple was defaced as a result. And and yet, when they came back to the temple, they perhaps they did sacrifice correctly for a while, but they they didn't they didn't continue on in the ways that God had had instructed. And it came, comes to a head here in Matthew twenty one and verse nine. And uh, talking about Jesus, and it says, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sought and bold and, sought and bold, <laughs> sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it the den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And, um, so Jesus came probably, he probably knew what, what was coming, but he would have come with an expectation that the temple was being maintained, that the lamps were on, that the altar was burning, and that the people were worshipping God, and, and he found a marketplace. Um, and so what did Jesus cast out? He cast out the world's way of doing things. He cast out, perhaps there was entertainment, he cast out the money changers, he cast out the selling, uh, and the weakening of doctrine ultimately was what he rejected. Um, they'd gone from, it had gone from being a house of prayer to being a place where they, they sold doves. And what did he bring instead? Healing, salvation, and fulfillment of God's promises. Um, we'll read in verse 15 what the reaction was. So it says, And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, you'd love to read if it says here they all rejoiced, but it said they were sore displeased. Um, and we won't read on, but um, yeah, they, they weren't very happy with him at all. Um, how many churches around have become a den of thieves how many how many temples have become a den of thieves um how how many places do you go to and and perhaps that are meant to be a, a house of prayer and then and you see that they've gone so far from the truth that it's like being in a, in a den of thieves um if if it's not a house of prayer there's only one other category for it and then how do they react when we point it out they're they're generally not rejoicing they're usually sore displeased and and the spirit does reveal things and it casts a light onto, onto those around us. And often it's not well received because it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, but not just on a, on that level. I just got thinking about how on a personal level, how, how's our temple going? Does the spirit still manifest itself in what we do? Um, would those that meet us see a house of prayer or do those that meet us see a den of thieves? Um, these are questions you can ask for yourselves and, and only, only you know the answer to them. But what are, what's in your life that could be considered a dove that you're selling that, uh, is, is getting in the way of your, uh, worship of God? And, uh, what do your money changes look like? But if, if Jesus, well, I was about to say, if Jesus was here, what would he cast out? But Jesus is here. He's within us and he abides with us. 
Um, so only we know the answer to what things we need to, to clean out of our temple uh, because we house the living God within us. We'll read 1 Corinthians 3. Another scripture I was going to go to talks about um, talks about the idols that we that we remove from our temple, and of course we don't have physical idols in this day and age like they did, um, or generally we don't have physical idols in this day and age like they did in the Old Testament of of other gods. But uh, they had to remove them from the temple. They had to make sure that uh, that these things weren't present. First um, Corinthians three. And but I'll pick it up in verse 9. It says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, uh, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if, uh, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall receive loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Uh, know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And, uh, recognizing that we're, we, that we've become holy is, is vital to our walk in the Lord, I believe. Um, because we were, we weren't holy before we were filled with the Holy Spirit. We were just men and women in, in, in our own flesh. And yet God has set us apart and he's made us holy. And there's this great warning in, in verse 17 about um, that if any man defile the temple of God, that God will just, him shall God destroy. And, um, we, we need to take that seriously because like we read about, um, Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, when, uh, when people mess up God's holy things, he doesn't have respect for them. And I'm not talking about the mistakes that we make in, in our walk in the Lord and, and we take communion to remember that, that we were, we were, um, we were forgiven of our sins and, and things like that. It's when we go completely away from, from God's way of doing things and decide to preach a different gospel and decide to do things in a different way. Um, we've been made holy and, and we stay holy through the communion that we take and, and through the forgiveness of, of Jesus' blood. Um, but we, we need to remain that way. Um, we will go back to Ezekiel and 36, chapter 36. If there's anyone new here today, there's this scripture written, um, was actually written about 600 years before Jesus was on the scene. And it was written by a, a prophet named Ezekiel, um, during the nation of Judah's exile. And, um, yeah, so it was about 600 years beforehand. And there's, there's some promises to, to Israel as a nation. Uh, but there's also these more personal promises to mankind. And you can, read a lot of this chapter um, to, to see these promises that were made, um, but just for time we might pick it up. Oh, we'll pick it up in verse 16 and we might skip down halfway through, but it says, Moreover the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Uh, wherefore I poured my fury upon them, for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. 
and I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of this land. But I had pity for my holy name, uh, for my holy name, which was the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Um, we might skip down to verse 14, and it just says, uh, For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all the countries, and will bring you into your own land. And then it starts talking about the promises to us. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. From all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you an heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you an heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be uh, your God. So uh, you get these these promises, and uh, you read about how Israel had done the wrong thing and, and gone completely the opposite direction from God. And that was that was us before we had the Holy Spirit. We were only men and women in our own understanding, and and we did things according to the way that we thought was correct. And uh, for some people, that was closer to the mark than than others. Um, but no one was good enough in their own strength and in their own righteousness to be made sanctified by God. And it talks about how we're we're made clean through through God, and that He puts a new spirit within us that he'll give us a new heart and that he'll cause us to walk in the statutes of God. And, and that's what we experience through the Holy Ghost. We'll go to John 3 now. So this spirit was a, a promise made well before Jesus was on the scene as a man. Um, but Jesus as the Son of God was, was with God even from the start of history. Um, and we read here in, in John 3, and in verse 1, this is when Jesus was fairly early in his ministry and he'd started to, to cause people to take notice of him. And, and this man, um, as we'll read about, came to him and it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And... Um, Nicodemus probably represented the, the best of the Old Testament. Um, he was a ruler of the Jews. Um, he, as, as the a sect of the Pharisees, that was part of the priesthood. And yet, Jesus didn't recognize any of that. He immediately said in, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And uh, so oh, we'll keep reading. It says, The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it comes and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus talks about how the Spirit would be manifest um, and Jesus, as I said, Nicodemus perhaps represented the best of the Old Testament, but he couldn't discern the manifestation of the Spirit. And in verse 9 it says that Nicodemus answered and stunned him, how can these things be? And, and he just had no understanding of it. And, uh, and even the disciples had a, had a difficult time understanding the things of the Spirit, uh, as we read about earlier. 
And, and yet what Jesus said was when the comforter comes, that, that will teach you. And, uh, that's our encouragement to everyone today. If, if you are here for the first time and perhaps these things don't make a whole lot of sense, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, that teaches you and that reveals God, that, that manifests the, the Spirit of God within our lives. Uh, we'll go across to Acts chapter one now. We are starting to wrap up. If you are wondering, how the Spirit does manifest itself in this day and age. We can read about how it manifested itself nearly 2,000 years ago, and you can then you can hear the testimonies that mirror 100% what happened in this in this uh, account of, of Jesus' disciples still happens today. Um, we might read from verse 4, and it's it's talking about how when Jesus uh, returned from when he was was raised up from the dead that he appeared unto his disciples, and it just says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Um, the time will skip down to chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so that's the, that's the experience that we, we have received today. And, um, that there's plenty of people around that will testify of the day that that happened to them. And not only was it a one-off thing that, uh, that they spoke in a language that they'd never learnt that God provided for them. We can continue to do it. And, and God, God gives it to us as a, as an ongoing prayer language to Him. And that's how the Spirit is manifest. When we pray in tongues, the Spirit is revealed through the through the words that we say. Even if we don't understand them, we know that we're praying directly to God. Um, we'll skip down this this call. I won't read it for time, but this caused a bit of a stir amongst the people that heard it. Um, they heard people speaking in languages that they'd never learnt, and and through those languages, glorifying God, the wonderful works of God. It says. Um, and Peter, one of just Jesus' disciples, stood up and, and proclaimed what this meant. And um, maybe in, in verse 32 it just says, um, This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. He's saying this is, this is the revelation, this is the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And like in the Old Testament times, it's not something that's, not seen or, or heard. Um, they could see, they could, they could see the, the pillar of cloud that dwelt within the tabernacle. They could see the cloud that came down into the temple. Um, there, there is evidence for, for God being manifest. Um, and in verse 37, it just says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And again, this is, this is available today. Um, but the, the key is to not decide to do things man's way, to not decide to do things just because we've said it, to do it because this is what the Bible says, which is the Word of God. And when we follow the Word of God, when we follow things the way God has put it in place, we can expect God to, to be glorified. You read a little bit later about these, these signs and wonders that the disciples did through, that, that, the, that God did through the disciples of Jesus. Um, 
And that was the manifestation of the Spirit again. It was, it was working miracles, it was showing wonders. Uh, and that's what we come to expect through being a child of the living God. Um, so through the Spirit we're made holy. It's then up to us to remain that way. All people said? Amen. Amen.